Welcome to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Sheshav and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institutions. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today I am speaking with Dr. Julian Schein, who is a second-year plastic surgery resident at the University of Calgary in Calgary, Alberta. Julian is originally from Montreal, where he completed his undergrad at McGill University in mechanical engineering. He went on to complete his medical school at the University of Montreal. His interests include gender affirmation, craniofacial, hand, and breast surgery. Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. So I'd love to start with a big picture overview of what it's like to train at your program. Sure. Yeah. Um, good open question to start, I suppose. So uh, like all programs in Canada, I believe it's a, uh, it's a five-year program. Um, and uh, unlike other programs, maybe uh, we do have a pretty sort of front heavy couple of years uh, as an R1 and an R2. I think it's actually one of our um, one of our many strengths at Calgary is we get a very good surgical exposure early on. So in terms of uh, specific numbers, uh, if I look at my own path as an R1, I think we had uh, seven planned blocks out of 13 as our first year, and then eight uh, this year as an R2. Uh, this is even higher now in, um, in the uh, R1s who joined our program and are now on the CBD path. They have nine blocks uh, their first year. And I think at least nine, their second year. So lots of plastic surgery early on, which is which is great, which is what we want. Uh, in terms of uh, sort of broader structure, we, we cover all the hospitals in Calgary. There are five main ones uh, that maybe I can give you a rundown of because they each have their, their specific strengths. Um, we have our, our main center, which is the Foothills Hospital. Uh, and this is by far our, our busiest center uh, where we do most of our microsurgical reconstruction and we get a ton of it. Uh, it's also our burn and trauma center and we get great exposure to those fields as well. Uh, we have three to four designated ORs a day generally uh, and that all makes for very busy, very long days, but in some very rewarding days. Next, we have the Peter Lougheed, uh, which tends to be, I'd say, our second busiest center and we get uh, a lot of breast surgery, but especially a lot of hand surgery there. Uh, very high end, very complex stuff. We have a couple of super young and ambitious um, hand surgeons there. Uh, we have, of course, a children's hospital. We do at least six blocks there in our last three years and uh, maybe a block or two in the R1 and R2 years. Uh, and then our last two sites where we go uh, maybe less frequently are more like community-based. Uh, we still get some great hand and breast exposure with some micro as well, but a bit of a slower pace, um, more of a, a community setting. I'd say um, another strength of our program is most of the time you are working alone as a resident, even as an R1 or R2. Uh, that's the case at every site except the first site I mentioned, Foothills, uh, where we're always three or four residents just because of the sheer volume. But every other site, you're alone, even as an R1, which means you're exposed very early on. Uh, you have a high level of responsibility early on. Staff depend on you and like to include you. Um, and um, that, that all makes for, for like very good exposure uh, early on in the residency. That sounds great. 
So how many residents do you guys take per year? The last couple of years, we've taken two residents a year, some years one. I don't think we've ever taken more than two. So over the five years now, we have a total of 10 residents at the moment. Okay. Could you tell me a little bit more about what your experience is like in non-plastics services and rotations? Yeah, certainly. I think uh, <laughs> I think that experience is, is variable, I'd say. Certainly, it's, it's great to be exposed to different surgical techniques, different surgical fields, and uh, the most pertinent off-service rotations are those where we get to meet teams where we'll be doing a lot of collaborative cases. And by that, I'm thinking... ENT especially, and maybe orthopedics next, you know, it, it's especially valuable to, to work with them and get to know them because you'll be working uh, with them for the rest of your life, essentially. In terms of workload or, or exposure to the OR, I think that's variable, but I don't think that's an exception to our program, certainly. Are there any fellows at your program? Yeah, we currently have three fellows. Uh, we have one microsurgical fellow, one oncological fellow, and a hand fellow. The hand fellow is at the Peter Lougheed Center, where I mentioned we, we do mo- most of the hand surgery, uh, whereas the two others are at the foothills. And how does that affect training experience? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, um, I think given the number of surgeries that we have and the relatively few residents we have, it's not, there's no crowding issue. I think maybe as you become more senior as a resident in R4 and R5, where you expect to maybe given the opportunity to complete a surgery from A to Z, maybe, you know, there's, there's a bit more of an issue there. But I, to be honest, I've, I've rarely ever heard it be an issue at Calgary. And uh, my experience as an R2 and R1 last year was purely positive. Fellows are a great resource for learning. They have tremendous surgical skills. They are fresh out of the Royal College, so their clinical and surgical knowledge is tip-top. And uh, they're also very involved in research, and they like to involve us in their research as well. And and in that setting, they provide great support and kind of motivation and and good. uh, They're a good resource for research ideas as well. So uh, my experience has been only positive with the fellows we've had. That's great. And on that topic of research, could you tell me a little bit about the research opportunities at your institution? Yeah, certainly. I think the, the research opportunities uh, or, say, research expectations are, are a bit loose, to be frank. I don't know of any formal expectation for the residents, uh, you know, specifically in terms of like numbers of papers or publications that you have to do each year. I think the expectation is that you're always involved in something. So you always have something going on and like there's no, there's really no lack of opportunity to, to do so. I found myself turning down more projects really just to keep, keep everything uh, level, if you will, again, because we have a ton of clinical exposure. So the expectation really, we have an annual research day where we present what we're working on. That is certainly an expectation that you come up with something fresh every year. It doesn't have to be a complete or published paper. It just has to be something you're working on. And uh, that really is meant to prepare us for the Canadian uh, meeting where we we get to present what we're, or hopefully get to present what we're working on as well. So it's really more of a sort of a step towards the Canadian and maybe uh, other international meetings. Uh, But there's no strict number of publications or papers that we have to complete each year. 
What kind of support is available for research within the department? Yeah, so we have uh, we have one staff uh, who's very very involved in our research. She's Dr. Temple Oberly. Uh, she publishes a ton in the oncological branch of plastic surgery, and she's always very involved in preparing us uh, both for annual research day as well as our CSPS. Sorry, that's the, the Canadian uh, annual meeting. She's not alone. That being said, you know, but she is definitely the. I think she has the more the more formal role in uh, preparing us for research. Uh, we also have a very established and, and fairly prolific team at the Children's, and they always have a ton of projects going on as well. So I think for applicants uh, potentially looking at Calgary, I think it's safe to maybe regard us as a program that can support you all the way if you want to make research your priority. But I, I wouldn't pretend the emphasis is on research. It's definitely more on surgical and clinical exposure. And what kind of support is available for presenting research in terms of travel grants and whatnot? Yeah, so we have um, not part of our plastic surgery group, but more of the um, University of Calgary has funding for its what they call the post medical or sorry postgraduate medical students, so basically residents. And I'm sorry, I don't have the specific numbers for you, but essentially annually you can apply for I think up to two thousand dollars in grants to help you travel to uh, wherever you may be presenting. And although I have not applied for it yet because of the past year, we haven't been doing much traveling. I think generally uh, what I've been told is this funding is readily available. It's not like you're, you know, a hundred residents going for a single grant. Like if you, if you plan it in advance and you have something to present other than in Calgary, um, you have more chances to, you, you have very good chance of obtaining the grant. The other opportunity that's available uh, as part of the University of Calgary is our clinical investigator program, and that's a program where you uh, take two years off uh, your residency, and that can be fitted practically anywhere you want, but typically it's taken either after your R2 or R3 year, and then you take those two years to um, start and finish a master's program or start a PhD And uh, you are paid the same as you would a normal resident, except you have no clinical duties during those two years. So that equates to maybe $70,000 or $75,000 a year, which is pretty substantial for uh, research years. So in addition to that, you're free to apply to additional grants or travel expenses, which are also available to you. So all in all, I think financially, we're fairly well supported for presenting and researching if we want to be. I'd like to switch gears and ask you, what is call like? Yeah, um, I guess that depends uh, where you are. You know, earlier on, I kind of went into the differences uh, inherent to each site. Obviously, call at a busy center like Foothills or the Peter Lougheed uh, can be fairly busy, whereas at other centers where it's the, the clinical duties are maybe a bit um, less, the call reflects that as well. So traditionally, uh, we do one in four call. And we do all uh, home call, even R1. And uh, I think now for the first half of R1, you get a a senior resident uh, to cover your call with you. But this is new this year. Last year, even as an R1, you're basically by yourself, although, you know, supported by by senior residents if you want to be. Um, Staff are always available. Uh, We have great communication. We'll get into that later a little bit, hopefully. But uh, very early on, we established great communication with the staff. They're very open and they're they're eager to um, to support you uh, during call wherever you are. Yeah, I guess all in all, we it can be busy. 
but uh, the fact that we get a home call is lovely, uh, and that means that we, you know, we can leave the site at the end of the day and come back for certain things, but also if we see fit, we can push things to the next day and uh, see them then. So I think it's, it's a very good ratio. We also have at one of our sites, the busiest site, the Foothills, um, a great understanding with the emergency physicians who see uh, a lot of plastic surgery related things uh, during the night, like hand fractures or minor lacerations and cuts that need to be seen by a plastic surgeon, but not necessarily urgently. And we've established the understanding that they are to fax uh, those consults to our minor surgery center for us to see the next day and arrange follow-up. And that really spares us a lot of overnight calls that really don't need to be seen then and there. So uh, that's hugely helpful for us. What is the allied primary health practitioner support like? So we have one PA at uh, the Foothills, again, our, our busiest site, who helps in many ways, uh, charting information, helps to see consults during the day if we're stuck in an OR, also helps with uh, discharge planning, et cetera, for the patients, and occasionally helps out in the OR as well. That is unique to, to the Foothills, though. Uh, there's no other site that has one. Are there opportunities for elective rotations? Yeah, there are. Uh, mainly in your senior year, so R3, 4, and 5, you have, uh, I believe it is two blocks per year uh, for a total of five or six blocks over the last three years. And you're kind of free to, to um, do those electives locally, either in a rural setting or in an urban setting, but uh, elsewhere. Uh, you can do those, of course, anywhere else in Canada or the, or the States if you want. What about global rotations or trips? Yeah, so you can, um, I don't know if American elective count as, as global, uh, but you can certainly <laughs> arrange that. And then we do have uh, missions annually organized by the, um, the team of the children's. Uh, we do, I think it's either Peru or Vietnam, uh, where we do a burn surgery and cleft lip and palate surgery. Uh, of course, this was held this year, uh, but that's a, an anomaly. Typically, we have these available to us every year. And again, typically, it's the senior residents who get the opportunity to go. And what's the cosmetic experience like? Cosmetic experience is variable. I wouldn't say it's at the forefront of our program. I think uh, you can get the cosmetic experience you need uh, if that's something you desire. But it's, it's not something that is readily uh, handed out to us. Uh, and that I mean, like we can choose to make an elective block, a cosmetic block if we want. But uh, all in all, I think mainly due to the fact that a lot of our staff don't have a very heavy proportion of their practice devoted to cosmetic surgery, that's certainly reflected in the exposure we get as residents. So kind of like our research, if you want to get more of it, you can, uh, but it's not the emphasis of our program. And do you have a resident cosmetic clinic? We do not. We're working on one, but we don't presently have one. Is there experience with gender affirmation surgery? Yeah, there is quite a bit of it, actually. We, we do um, exclusively top surgery, so that's uh, either the equivalent of a mastectomy for female to male or breast augmentation for male to female. We don't do any bottom surgery or um, any facial surgery, not that I'm aware of anyway, but we do get a very good volume of uh, top surgery. Do you guys get loops covered as part of your perks? Uh, we don't get loops covered. Um, one of our perks, and this is again more governmental than anything, is we get $1,000 annually to spend on pretty much anything you, you like. 
they kind of frame it as either professional equipment, textbooks, or well-being spending. But basically that means if you want to put it on your loops, you can do that. Uh, If you want to get scrubs or a white coat the next year, you can do that. Textbooks, whatever, you name it, uh, you get a thousand bucks annually. If one year you want to spend that on skis and tennis rackets, that's also (laughs) okay. So uh, no formal spending. And it's actually, I think, better in that way is we don't have any uh, specific allocation. It's just given to you. And so that's $5,000 over, $5, over your residency that you're free to, to spend on whichever you like that year. So it's great. And then maybe uh, more specific to call, if we can go back to that. We don't get a food stipend for call, but we do get a call stipend, uh, which is not negligible. I'd say it probably equates to sort of 15 to 20% of my salary that is added on. Yeah, that, that, that's it. So no food stipend, but we get more than enough uh, in our stipend to cover food on call if we want. Now, are there any other perks you'd like to share about your program? Yeah, sure. So, so certainly uh, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is, is our access to a fantastic lab uh, at the foothills, uh, sort of in a separate wing of the foothills. But essentially, we get to do um, dissections there. Uh, we do uh, simulations, surgical simulations. We have a microsurgery course that's held there as well. And that's a week-long course that we have annually. It's mandatory for all residents. Uh, we also have microsurgery day courses uh, held four times a year, and that's all organized and kind of anchored by uh, Dr. Temple Oberly, who I mentioned earlier on, is very involved in her research as well. Uh, in terms of training, we have quarterly uh, sort of mock Royal College style oral exams. So every three months, uh, we get uh, four or five Royal College style questions, and this is from R1 to R5. Uh, and you are uh, subjected to these questions by two staff. And, you know, it's certainly intimidating, uh, especially as, you're, as you begin, because you don't know much and you get the same questions as your R5. But uh, it really kind of eases our transition to working towards a Royal College style answer and exposes us quite early to uh, what a Royal College style question is. So hugely beneficial, in my opinion. And then more informally, we get weekly teaching sessions that take place in the morning. So we have hand rounds every week and then burn rounds uh, every week for those who are at the burn center, so at the foothills, and also sort of a can meds rounds, but they're basically open to any topic. And and these are uh, hour-long sessions um, that are guided by staff, although they'll present an interesting case they had or several, and kind of run us through them. Uh, so they're, they're more informal learning opportunities, but they're hugely beneficial because we, they just lead to increased exposure again. And, and we are often asked sort of input into what, what we would look for in our physical exam or, or plan as a surgery uh, uh, for these cases. And that, that, again, kind of puts us in the setting uh, that one day we will be making those decisions by ourselves. And what area of plastic surgery would you say residents come out with the strongest experience in? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, because of our very heavy surgical exposure, I don't think there's any field that is lacking in our training. Uh, And I really mean that. I think uh, more than anything, we get terrific exposure to microsurgical cases. And uh, we also get very good burn exposure hand exposure at the PLC especially, and, and 
certainly no shortage of, of breast surgery. So I, I guess I kind of covered them almost all, but, but I, I really mean that. We, we have terrific surgical exposure and there's no aspect of our training that is lacking. And I think any uh, senior residents uh, would, uh, would agree with that. So now if you had to, how would you improve your program? Yeah, um, a bit of a tough question at this stage. Uh, as you can probably tell, I really like my program. <laughs> but I think uh, areas where we could improve potentially are our exposure to clinic. We have very little surgical, uh, sorry, clinical exposure over our residency. And I think that's that's maybe a shortcoming because it, it, you know clinic is great for sort of pre-op evaluations, uh, physical exam. And then you also see um, a lot of post-operative follow-up. So how your how your surgery looks, you know, two weeks out, six weeks out, three months out, two years out. We get relatively little of that. But uh, the plus side is the reason we're not often exposed to clinic is because there's a lot of surgery at Calgary. And even as an R1 and R2, um, you get as much surgical exposure as you can handle practically. And I, I truly mean that. It's, it's a shortcoming, but the... Um, you know, the, the plus side is we get a ton more surgery. So now I'd love to transition a bit and talk a little bit more about your program leadership. That includes your chair in chief, uh, as well as your program director. Yeah, so our, our um, chief at the moment is uh, Dr. Harrop, and he is a um, pediatric uh, plastic surgeon, does most of his work at the, uh, at the Alberta Children's Hospital, and is... Um, one of the uh, surgeons involved, very much involved in the uh, sort of research group that they had there that I mentioned earlier on. And he's he's a, just a, a great, great resource to our program uh, and hugely helpful um, for, uh, for us when, when any time, but especially if we want to do research in the pediatric field. He is a, an amazing resource. Uh, our program director is uh, Dr. Duncan Nickerson, and he's been our PD since uh, 2018, I believe. Uh, Dr. Nickerson is our uh, main, but really only, uh, burn surgeon in the city. Uh, he uh, completed his uh, MD in Calgary, if I'm not mistaken, and then his residency at UBC and did his burn fellowship at the Ross Tilly Burn Center in Toronto. And as a, you know, as a surgeon, as a PD, I have nothing but fantastic things to say about him. He's, he's tremendously uh, passionate and caring surgeon. He's also uh, very, very supportive of our resident group. And by that, I mean, he's always readily available uh, to us and and generally very open to feedback and and any concerns that we may have. So I think we're um, very well led as a resident group. And, you know, I mentioned two surgeons uh, there, our chief and our PD, but all our surgeons are very involved in our in our training and uh, take great care to make sure that we feel part of the team early on. And um, in general, I have nothing but good things to say. That's awesome. Can you tell me about a time when you or another resident uh, brought up an issue to the program leadership and how they responded? Uh, sure. Um, my experience in that has been fairly limited uh, as, a, as an R2. I'd say the only things I, I may have mentioned to my program director in the past is related to some off-service rotations that I, but also other residents, felt weren't necessarily pertinent and you know whether the direct result of, of uh, our uh, making note of this or just the fact that the CBD program calls for more exposure to your own practice early on. 
the result has been that we've eliminated these these um, these off-service rotations for our R1s this year and for any incoming R1 thereafter. So, yeah, a limited experience bringing something up, but but you know what I said earlier on does apply. I feel like our PD and any other staff really is very open to feedback and and eager to hear you know any qualms or concerns that we may have. As far as you uh, know, do you foresee any upcoming changes in the faculty in the next few years? Yeah, I, um, again, kind of hard as an R2 to, to get a feel for that. Uh, just looking at where certain surgeons are in their practice, I would, I, I would think that three or four of them may be approaching uh, retirement in the, say, five next years. Um, that being said, I have no idea how they're how they mean to replace those surgeons, uh, if and when, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what kind of roles do residents have in department decision-making? So that could be either picking next faculty or uh, the next generation of residents. Yeah, so we do have uh, two residents every year. Um, typically, those are sort of R3, R4 level residents uh, who are assigned to represent the interests of the resident group as a whole. And they meet with staff, uh, I believe it's four times a year. And um, this is where any concerns that residents may have as a, as a group, not sort of individually, but um, as, a, as a group are discussed, and then actions are, taking, are, are taken accordingly. Um, in terms of deciding who comes as staff, uh, I don't believe any of us have any input in that. Um, and uh, as far as choosing our next residents, the uh, R4s are usually involved in the selection committee for the interviews. Uh, are, are, sorry, are, are part of the interview process and involved in the selection committee. And, and they certainly do have a, a stronger word perhaps than other residents, but any resident is free to, to, to share their findings um, relating to a, a specific candidate. Uh, to the staff. And how would you describe the relationships or the culture amongst the residents? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's really one of our strong suits. I think we have an amazing group of residents in Calgary. It's a, it's a small group. It's certainly tight-knit. My experience, anyway, uh, has been that it's been a, a very supportive group uh, from day one. There's a lot of sort of positive emotions uh, that are shared within the group, and there's I've always felt, anyway, great support coming from senior residents who are extremely busy uh, sort of signing up their electives and choosing their fellowships and preparing for the Royal College. But never have I felt that, you know, R1s, R2s are kind of pay the price for that. Uh, you know, they, they right from day one, uh, R5s uh, made and, and R4s made my life a lot easier, uh, offered to help for call, offered to come around on weekends with me. Uh, and I think that really speaks to the the like the core values of our group. Um, we we like to help each other out, and uh, we are competitive individually, but but certainly eager to to help one another uh, when we need to. And I know this is specific to the group of residents, but I think that culture really comes from our staff, who show um, many of the same core values that I just mentioned. And uh, if I can. You know, just describe the interaction between residents and staff as well is is not only cordial but very, even friendly in some instances, and and I think that really contributes to our learning as well and to making younger residents feel part of the team early on. Is there's a relatively flat hierarchy in Calgary, 
and never have I felt uh, you know any hesitation towards addressing staff directly to review consults or anything. I don't feel like I have to go through senior residents or fellows. I can just you know, ring up the staff myself uh, as an R1 and, and discuss a case or discuss a surgical plan. And I think that's a, that's a big strength of our program. Thank you. Uh, and now I'd like to hear a little bit more about the logistics of how residents live. Uh, do most residents own or rent? I think most residents rent at this point. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think only two of our residents own. And mostly, I'd say uh, it's apartment living. A couple of our residents have families now and live in homes, uh, but uh, I think most of them live in apartments. And what's the commute like from where most residents live to the different sites? Uh, Is it necessary to have a car? Yeah, uh, Calgary being a relatively young uh, North American style city, it's it's definitely a car car centered (laughs) city. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that every resident I spoke to before starting residency in Calgary told me is if you're going to move to Calgary, you need a car. I think that's true for the most part. Uh, one of our R1s bikes pretty much every day and, and uh, kudos to her. Uh, that's a very impressive feat. But, you know, the, the fact that it's uh, so easy to get around in a car in Calgary uh, makes it enjoyable to have one. And also the, the winter is fairly long and uh, cold at times, and that also makes a car uh, kind of nice. Are you ever in a situation where you have to go to multiple sites in a day or even just within a rotation? Or is it generally just one rotation per one site? Generally one rotation, one site. And that applies to call coverage as well. Uh, we, we, only, we do site-specific call, which is uh, a huge relief, I think. I see residents in other Calgary programs having to do citywide call, and, and you know, that looks like a lot, of, um, a lot of stress and a lot of time just spent traveling from site to site, which is thankfully something we don't have to do. So usually one rotation, one site, and single site call coverage, which is huge. What is the breakdown of residents in terms of people being single, married, or having kids? Yeah, uh, I think I think m- most of us are in relationships. Uh, about half are married or engaged, and uh, I think two have kids at the moment. Uh, I think traditionally it's a program that is very welcome to, uh, or that ha- you know, very open to having residents with kids, whether before starting residency, during residency. As far as I've heard, anyway, never really been an issue. What do you like about living in Calgary? Hmm. Yeah, so uh, you know, I mentioned a couple of things earlier on. I think uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful city, um, kind of centered on the intersection of two rivers. Uh, the downtown uh, area is, is, is beautiful, and there's, um, there's quite a bit of wildlife even within the city. It's easy to get around by car. I come from Montreal, as you said earlier on, where it is chaotic year-round uh, to get around by car or, or any which way. Uh, so it's, it's certainly relieving to now live in a city where there's hardly any traffic, especially at the hour that we tend to travel. And uh, I think the biggest asset of living in Calgary, and, and again, this was what was told to me before I moved there, uh, but 
that I've really come to embrace is the proximity of world-class uh, mountains. Like the Rockies are within an hour's drive of the city, and you have world-class hiking, mountaineering, skiing, mountain biking, road biking, anything you can think of that you can do in a sort of camping or outdoorsy setting. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better city for that. And that's a real part of the lifestyle of Calgarians is weekend comes and people are heading towards the mountains for any of those activities I mentioned. Uh, it tends to be a very active population and they, they really love their mountains and with good reason. They're stunning. That sounds pretty awesome. So that's most of uh, what I wanted to talk to you about today. Are there any final thoughts uh, about either your program or about the process of choosing a residency? Yeah, so uh, I think one, one of the highlights I, I forgot to mention earlier on about the program is we have a, uh, a weekly academic half day. Uh, currently, that's Thursday afternoons. And basically, it's our opportunity to get together as a resident group and teach each other topics. I don't think that's uh, unique uh, in any way to, to our program. I think most programs have kind of adopted this this uh, self-teaching style and this kind of reserve time for residents. But uh, I must say, I, I find we do it particularly well, and we cover every Royal College um, objective for our exam uh, in a span of two years. And then your turn to teach kind of comes around every month or so, and you, you come up with a PowerPoint presentation uh, to present to your fellow residents. Again, kind of intimidating uh, to do as an R1, R2 when you're supposedly teaching R4, R5s but really gets us involved in the learning environment, in the teaching environment, and sort of get your head around all the topics that you need to cover as a plastic surgery resident. To go back to your uh, conclusive question, I think if I can sum it up in a few points, I think anyone serious about plastic surgery really needs to look at our program in Calgary. We're uh, not the best known program in Canada, and, and I, I think that's kind of part of the charm of it, actually. Uh, I certainly consider it an excellent program. If, if I didn't make that clear in the past 40 minutes, um, maybe we'll have to do this again. But I, I, really, I really think it's an excellent program, um, yet in a fairly unassuming one. Uh, maybe we should make more, no, more noise about everything we get there, but we kind of choose not to. And, and if I can highlight a few things that maybe, you know, should be on the radar of any uh, potential surgical, uh, sorry, plastic surgery uh, residents, I, I need to note that our program is, I believe, the last, if not one of the last, to do all the ENT head and neck reconstructions. I think the ENTs are in charge of it for most other programs, uh, but we get to do it practically all at the, at the Foothill Center. And I didn't even know that before starting in Calgary, but it's, it really means, as you can imagine, a ton more radial forearms, MSAPs, some pec flaps, some ALTs, just a ton more microsurgery uh, experience. And I think that's not something that most other programs can say. Uh, as I've said before, we get a ton of surgical exposure and we get it early on. R1s, R2s, doesn't matter. You're in the OR, you're usually first assist, and you get the tools given to you uh, as early as you can handle it. And to give you some numbers, in my first year in only eight blocks, I logged about 260 cases, and I was first assist, I would say, in more than three quarters of them. 
And that doesn't even include our minor surgery suites. So just main OR cases. And again, I feel like that's something that most other R1s and R2s cannot say about their program. And another number for you would be our staff to resident ratio, which I've calculated to be 26 to 10. So 26 staff to 10 residents. And as you can imagine, that's hugely favorable for us residents. It means, again, we get a ton of surgical exposure, but also a ton of responsibility. I mentioned earlier that other than at the foothills, we are alone at other sites most often, even as R1s and R2s. So you see all the consults, you review with staff directly, you round all the patients by yourself in the morning, and you are in as many ORs as you can run to, basically, um, as soon as residency starts. So uh, that exposes us to, I would assume, um, sort of more technically challenging procedures earlier on in our residency. And I think more importantly, even the program in Calgary is a program where not only the residents are close, but as I mentioned before, the staff are close to residents. Uh, I mentioned that flat, flatter hierarchy, and I think that's, that's a big part of our program. And it goes a long way to make junior residents feel part of the team right from day one. And you're basically in charge of your program. You are given, or sorry, you're, you're basically in charge of your progress. You are given as much exposure as you can handle. Uh, and that is earlier on. So you better come prepared to work and learn. Thank you so much. And uh, finally, I'd like to end with a question for our listeners. Could you ask our listeners your favorite plastic surgery related pimping question? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say one of the ones that, you know, come around most often are related to anatomical structures, um, for instance, you know, arterial uh, or, or innervation uh, to the breast. Um, because we do a lot of microsurgical procedures early on, certainly arteriovenous uh, supply and nerve supply to your your workhorse flaps, radial forearm, ALT, MSAP, uh, tram flaps. These are all these are all um, go-to questions for R1s and R2s. Uh, yeah, I don't have a favorite yet. Maybe as an R5, but certainly not yet. And then um, perhaps another, uh, just in terms of advice for prospective plastic surgery applicants. CARMS is is a hugely stressful period. You'll find out for yourself soon enough. It's tough. It's, it's um, a period where you're faced with too many unknowns. And I think I can speak for myself, but also for most m- m- medical students, we're, we're, we don't like to face the unknown. We like to have things kind of tidied up and, and uh, we like to plan our days and our futures. And CARMS is a period where, unfortunately, your planning skills are, are really challenged because there's just so much that you don't control. So to that, I'd say, you know, as basic as it might sound, my best advice to candidates would be to believe in yourself, to be confident in your skills and qualifications, and that if you have a chance to be interviewed, then that means that most likely you have what it takes to be a plastic surgery resident. You just have to make sure that you show it while you can. So in the, in the interview, in the sort of candidate uh, social events that every program holds now, just be yourself, be confident in your abilities, and something will work out for you. Thank you so much, Julian, for your time and your advice to our listeners. Yeah, my pleasure.
Thank you for listening to the Doctority Canada Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast platform and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions and suggestions. At this point, I'd like to give credit to Jenna Stair for founding Doctority and making all of this possible. Anyways, thanks again for listening. See you all next time.